Look at that. We got through the whole children's sermon and mentioned neither pizza nor golfing the entire time. I think we've, we are making progress. Um, well, it's good to be back uh, again. Uh, as you know, for the past few months, I've been traveling around trying to sort of detox from residual COVID work stress. And uh, I spent a certain, I spent a lot of that time out in parks and woods, doing a certain amount of getting back to nature, I guess you could say. Uh, I will do a forum later, as I said, where I'll, uh, I'll give you some of the highlights. I'm just not ready for that yet. I'm still unpacking things. Uh, but of course, a big part of that time was trying to get back to a state of peace, of having some sort of inner peace, right, where you can smell the flowers and forget about the emails. And... And, then, and so that's what I want to talk about today, finding peace. Now, my first, I first thought when I was going on sabbatical that uh, in addition to you know, going back to Sweden and seeing the old apartment I lived in and some stuff like that, would be spending lots of time sitting on my butt uh, on a chair, quietly, silently contemplating uh, the non-being of of where I was or the non-doing of anything, and, and I would find some sort of quiet enlightenment. And that always sounds like a really great idea when you're really busy. But for me, when I actually sit down to do it, that's, really, that's fun for like the first day, and then I just got bored. <laughs> really quickly, I got bored. And uh, so I quickly realized I had to go out and do something. It just wasn't going to be work things. And so even with big chunks of time, I found myself going out and uh, going out on my bikes or uh, I started kayaking. I used to canoe a lot, but I realized kayaks are a lot easier for one person to do. Uh, it was physical work, but at the end of the day, I was very much at rest. And there were a lot of days, especially when I was up at the family cabin in northern Minnesota, when uh, the weather was not great. I was up there almost three weeks, and I think I had four days of sunlight. And uh, it wasn't like it was pouring rain most days. Most of the time, it was just kind of cloudy, and then it would like drizzle a little bit here. I, I, I think Seattle moved to Minnesota for a while, I think is what happened. And, uh, and, and, it, and it got, if the, you know, it started warm, but then it would get cool. And so I, I would have to make this decision. I'd have to sit there and decision. I'd look at my phone. I'm studying that weather app. Okay, how wet is it going to be? Should I stay in or go out? If I go out, I'll get a little bit cold and wet. But, you know, I can throw clothes on. And usually, go outside would win. And so I would go out. Uh, I'd go hiking. I even went mountain biking once when it was kind of wet. Uh, that's kind of fun when you go through the mud, and then you don't go through the mud, and the mud starts going... <laughs> But then I felt all macho pulling back to the car covered in mud. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting because the more I did it, the more I got used to being out in the bad weather, the less it went from bad weather to just weather. It went from be I went from being annoyed that it wasn't nice and sunny to just the way it was. So here's me out at a state park uh, on a day when it kind of rained off and on. Uh, I would, when it would get heavier, I'd try to duck under the tree cover. 
a little bit. But at a certain point, you're like, it's going to get wet. But then you realize there's this whole pretty world out there uh, when things are wet. And the quiet park gets really quiet. So I realized I was more at peace with the world when I wasn't trying to buffer myself from it. When I just uh, wasn't trying to keep myself separated from the cold air and trying to keep myself separated from the elements. The less I tried to separate myself, the more comfortable I became with things just as they were. And that's when I had this realization about the nature of peace. And that peace is really about connectedness. There's a good connectedness. Now, there's a bad connectedness. I'll get to that. But peace is connection. Let's switch to the next one here, Leif. I had the privilege uh, of going to visit Mesa Verde National Park. Don't know if you've been there, southwest corner of Colorado. Uh, it's got the cliff dwellings. So they built these houses out of stone you know, hundreds of feet up the cliff and then another, you know, 50 feet down the cliff and these big overhangs. And these buildings are anywhere from 800 to 1,000 years old and very cool place. And if you want to take a tour of the building, you have to get a guided tour. They don't just let people walk through. I'm sure there'd be idiots who would vandalize it. So, you got to take a guided tour, and the first thing you do is you get the world's longest safety briefing ever. There will be ladders. Do not climb if you cannot handle a ladder. Do not try to do this if you just had cardiac surgery two weeks ago. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at my wife like, do people really try to climb cliff houses if they've had cardiac surgery? And the guy said, and the guy was like, I've already pulled, what, five people out this summer. He goes, it doesn't matter if it's on your bucket list, you know. So first you get the big safety briefing. But when we did th this tour, this is called Balcony House. I'll give you three guesses why. As you can see, it, they, all of them used to have these balconies. Most of them washed away. This one still has it. And our tour guide was really cool. Our tour guide's Hopi. And so it was his actual ancestors who built the Balcony House. And so after we got the, you will have to walk up a ladder spiel, we got kind of a long, maybe I'll say talk, but it was more kind of an, uh, him explaining, and he did a lot of this explaining, that places like Balcony House, to the Hopi and the other Pueblo natives, is not just a building. It's not just rocks and mud. It's not just stones. It's not just a place you lay your head. It's an extension of who they are. Where you live is an extension of your family, yourself, your community. It's, it's a part of who you are. It has meaning. And he kept hammering that into us over and over. And I, I get why he did it. Because to a lot of us in the Western world, a house isn't an extension of ourselves. Our house isn't even really all that personalized anymore. Have you kind of noticed that? It used to always be, I got a house, I can do what I want with it. Now it's, I got a house, and I can do what the HOA wants with it. <laughs> or, even like when you redesign the inside, people will tell you, oh, don't paint it those bright colors, because buyers like gray. Paint your house what the buyers want. So essentially, you're living in somebody else's house. 
It's not even your house. And we don't get an emotional attachment to things in that way. Right? And, and when you aren't emotionally attached to it, it's easier to just say, you know, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a building. So what if I write, Jenny loves Billy forever. Woohoo! And, you know, I mean, that's kind of how we think, right? Oh, I know that's a sacred native burial ground, but let's just put a development on it, which has been the premise of more than one horror movie, right? <laughs> Nothing good ever ends from building on top of the burial. But, right? But you don't just blow something up or bulldoze it if it's something that's a part of you that you're connected to. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, you know, I, I've come to learn about the Native American worldview is that there's a very deep sense of connectedness to the earth, to one another, to the world, that, that, that it is a part of us and we are a part of it, even the animals. They feel a connection with. So when the Pueblo natives would go and they would hunt, say, an elk, because they would hunt, you need to eat, you need the protein, they would, they would hunt the elk and then they would apologize to it. Because they weren't just doing it to, for sport or fun. They said, look, we know we got to eat. We know we've taken your life from you. We apologize. And there was, there was kind of a ritual they'd go through. You can imagine how shocking it must have been then. It, it, for the, like the Dakota to be sitting around on the plains watching settlers with guns opening their train windows and just blasting buffalo as they go by like this was a video game. Pow, pow, pow. And they're just leaving them there to die like they didn't care. Mowing them down by the thousands and going, oh, that was fun. Pass me the tea, Jedediah. I know, I need a good 1850s name, right? So... And that's the essence, in many ways, of what I think it means to be spiritual. You see the world as full of meaning, full of value, that, that the earth and the people in it are an extension of yourself. You allow yourself to be affected by it, and it affects you. You live in harmony with it. That's a vision for peace, a spiritual peace. To illustrate this, I contacted the graphics department. You know you missed the graphics department. <laughs> pastor Dew is a great pastor, but I know he didn't call the graphics department. <laughs> to illustrate, so to illustrate this, this is, this is what I call the buffered self. It's how we often see ourselves as individuals just living in a material world, but not part of it. We're buffered, we're disconnected. And we protect that disconnection because we worry that if we, if we open ourselves up to be affected by people around us, then somebody somehow might use that, that affectedness to manipulate me and control me, and I need to be independent and tough, so I'm going to wall myself off. Because if I have to listen to somebody's story and they're crying, that might make me change my mind. Oh, I can't do that. So I buffer myself from all the, all the things in this world. It's kind of like, you know, when you're at a, a and you got a small group together and everybody's kind of sharing their stories of the problems they've been through. Or you're at a 12-step meeting and, you know, people are talking about working through the pain and you got that one person that's sitting there like they're too cool for school, mm. you know? 
I'm not going to look affected because it might affect me, and then I'm not as tough as I was. Mm. And you know what that does to the whole group? It really kind of ruins the mood, doesn't it? It, it can really kind of damage it. And, you know, and that's what happens when you, you get, try to get buffered. Instead, you look at things the spiritual way. Get the next one. There we go. The spiritual self. You don't achieve peace by walling yourself up. You open yourself up to the things of the world and let yourself be affected by it. I didn't realize until I drew this that like transcendence and, and poverty were like clipping you at the knees. <laughs> Should have gone more to the heart, but now you'll remember that picture better. This, I think this is what our world longs for when it talks about wanting to be spiritual. Or you, you get people who say things like, you know, they'll, climb, they, they'll go out in the woods and they'll say things like, nature is my church. You know, you, you ran into those, I, I spent three weeks camping in Colorado and I saw lots of those types, you know. The, one, the, the guys, they're about this wide, they weigh 80 pounds, they drive a Subaru, full of stickers about veganism and national parks. And, 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 and they don't want to get a nine to five because it harshes their style too much, but they want to have everything open to do all the peaks. And then they get together over custom IPAs in Durango and, and talk about who got which peak better. There's, I know a lot of those guys. Of course, I see them and I kind of go, you know, if I was younger and in Durango, I might be one of them, but I ain't going to try to keep up with them at 50. But what are they doing? They'll say things like, nature is my church. On the mountain, I find spirituality. And I think what they're doing is they're trying to seek that deeper connection, that peacefulness that comes from being connected to the earth and the world around them. They just maybe don't have the best way to put it into words. And, of course, ironically, they don't want to commit to a religious community because, oh, that's right, it might affect me and interfere with my individuality. So, you know, it's why the world is full of spiritual hunger, I think, and not inner peace, because we are so scared of being affected, we're so scared of making a commitment to a group, that we isolate ourselves. And we all know that the lack of connection and, and, and that isolation can lead to conflict, to violence. We only need to look at the Middle East to see what happens when everybody walls themselves off and points fingers and spews hate at the other side. But it's easy, of course, to bomb and hate people on the other side because you got no connection there. They are not one, a part of us, Right? On the other hand, if you don't have big walls, hey, we're all friends, right? Like you want to go to Canada, they just let you in, willy-nilly. In fact, they'll go up to the end, they'll offer to sell you Molson on the way in. <laughs> at least they do, at least they do, at least they do at the um, uh, customs in Minnesota. That's how they pay for the Canadian customs. Literally, it sits on a little tiny island. And it, they sell Molson and Moosehead, and they sell a higher grade of Molson. We always used to tell all the people who rented boats, if you want the good beer, stop at Canadian Customs. 
How different that is, right? We're connected. We flow freely back and forth. Nobody hates Canada, right? Except maybe Minnesota hockey players. They totally hate Canada. But that's because they have an inferiority complex. But there's a paradox to this. Connection brings peace, but there's a paradox. And, what's, and of course, there always has to be a paradox, right? What fun would Christianity be if it was all just linear and, and, and there wasn't different sides to things? But here's the thing. If you are open to things flowing through you and if you are open to the feelings of others and you are open to listening to others, you're also open to the bad as much as the good. And part of it is good to be open to the pain of others. Because if you aren't somebody who's open to being, to sympathizing, right, suffering with the pain of others, if you're somebody who isn't affected by other people's hurt, what do we call you? A jerk or a sociopath, right? The person that can just kick someone when they're down and not feel any feel about it. We, we say that you're almost less of a human being, right? That's the definition of the monster, the person who hurts without causing pain. So it's a good thing to be open to pain. It makes us better people to be open to feel others. But if the people affecting you are hateful, or they're very negative, or they're toxic, then that can start affecting you too. Right? We all know the friend who got in with a certain group and the next thing you know, they're just grumbling and griping about everything and posting on Facebook. It's why it's important to be able to know when someone is so hateful that you have to kind of detach a little bit. I don't want to say cut them out. It's maybe too harsh. But to buffer a little? See, that's the paradox. If you're open to too much hate, you can become hateful. So, to be spiritually open, you have to wall yourself off from the haters who are not spiritually open. That's the paradox of peace. It's why when we go out into the woods, we're often at peace because we don't have anyone there to annoy us. So don't go to national parks because that's not where you will avoid people. <laughs> I got to see the Grand Canyon. You better start early. Because if you get to the main one, you'll be dodging crowds of influencers who are violating all the do not cross this fence line, standing there on the edge of the cliff in their Lululemons going. I was not very at peace at that lookout. But it's why we do it, right? To get out there, to be at peace. I did a lot of that the last few months. But I found every time, and I found this through my whole life, Every time I go out, out into the woods and open myself up and sit there in the quiet and I soak it all in, after a certain point, if I'm not around people who support me spiritually, it becomes an empty peace. God did not make us to be buffered, but to be open, to live with one another and the earth, to be with and not against and to have that peace that flows through us. Amen.